is coming, that God will create a new covenant. A new covenant, a new contract with Israel, but also with the human race. And of course, that is when we come to the Lord's table, what does Jesus say? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is the initiation of that promised new covenant. And what we're going to be looking at today uh, is begins in Matthew chapter 20, verse 29, and concludes with chapter 21, verse 11. But it is a description of Jesus and his disciples going to Jerusalem, leading up to the events of Jesus' arrest, trial, crucifixion, resurrection. Matthew 20, 29. Now when they, the Jesus and his disciples, went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, as we see these events taking place, what is this leading up to? This is Jesus coming to them with the promised blessing of kingdom glory. 
What is it that Jesus, this son of David, by the way, as they cry out these words, what are they saying? What are the two blind men in Jericho crying out? Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. And then in, as he's coming into Jerusalem, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus heals the blind men. It says He heals them. Who is He? He is God. He is the healer. He is also the Son of David. That is one of the favorite Jewish terms for the promised Messiah. What was the promise that was made to David? You will have a descendant who will come to the throne. And when he comes to the throne, he will be on that throne forever. What is the very first verse of Matthew's gospel? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed of God, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is this promised son of David who when he takes the throne will forever abide on that throne. And that is what the blind men are saying. Blind? They're seeing better than anybody else in that crowd or at least as well. Son of David, you heal us. And of course Jesus has healed at least hundreds and hundreds of people. He's raised the dead. He's cleansed lepers. He's given sight to the blind. Every kind of malady you can think of, he has dismissed it and set it right. Completely. So that, well, you'll recall the young man that was brought to him on a stretcher. I love this. You remember this. They bring this young man to Jesus on a stretcher. But you see, the obvious malady of this young man is he's on a stretcher. He can't walk. He's totally debilitated. His friends have brought him to Jesus. We know Jesus can address this issue. And Jesus says what to this young man? Your sins are forgiven you. He had a bigger problem than his physical malady. He needed to have his sins forgiven. And of course, the Jewish leadership, the Jewish leaders that are there, they are. How dare you? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Well, actually, that's correct. That's true. You're right. And so that you know that the Son of Man, another term they have for Messiah, has authority to forgive sins. In other words, guys, your Messiah is true God of true God, true man of true man, joined together in the Word. I am fully God as well as fully Son of David. And I just did a God thing. But it's, it's invisible. You can't see that. I'll do a visible God thing. Rise, take up your bed, and go home. And this fellow who is totally debility gets up, rolls up his cot, and heads home. <laughs> what do you do with that? Well, if you're the Jewish leaders, you ignore it. They weren't into evidence. 
God is into evidence. And people in, that he is inciting their minds and hearts by means of his Holy Spirit are into evidence. And he gives us evidence, and we say, I'm going to trust the one who has presented the evidence of the authenticity of his person and his power, his authority. I'm going to believe him for it. And these men, as Jesus and his disciples are coming through Jericho, the blind men have heard many of these accounts of what Jesus had done for other blind people. And they are crying out, understanding who he is, have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. We know who you are. We know what your authority is. Have mercy on us. Now, the thing they're mostly concerned with mercy for at the front end is their eyesight. We want the restoration of our eyesight. But they're asking for him to do a God thing. And, of course, the crowd is, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. No. Jesus calls them, what can I do for you? Please give us sight. Notice how it's put. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. And do you think they suddenly got quiet? I don't think so. <laughs> if they were shouting out before, I would dare say they're still shouting out all the way from Jericho to Bethphage. They're telling everybody within range of their voices of what Jesus just did for them. This is a testimony. And I love the fact that in the Bible, God doesn't say, you just believe what I say. No, he is about evidence. He is constantly giving us evidence for our eyes to see our ears to hear our hands to handle he gives evidence and so they continue on in the journey from jericho to bethphage a town just outside jerusalem by the mount of olives they drew on near to jerusalem and came to bethphage on the mount of olives and of course as i read the account he sends disciples into this town and they find the donkey with her colt unbroken i would dare say donkey colt now i've never raised donkeys i have raised horses my understanding is donkeys are on the bad end <laughs> of the scale <laughs> I mean, am I correct? I'm, 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 yes, I'm looking at a real horseman, a real experienced guy. He's, he's nodding yes. Donkeys are, in fact, donkeys are used here in the Texas Hill Country. If you have sheep or goats, you want a guard animal with the sheep or goats to keep the coyotes and other predators, you put a donkey with them, and the donkey will guard them from the predator. Now, it'll also discipline the sheep and the goats, <laughs> but it'll protect them from the predators. Well, I'm good for you. God, we have a donkey lover here. That's wonderful. Well, Jesus apparently did too. But the, why is he riding a donkey? I mean, we're going to see, and we're going to see at his second coming, is Jesus going to be riding it? No, he's going to be riding a white charger. Why? Because he will be coming as the conquering king. Why is he here riding a donkey? This is the sort of beast a servant rides. 
This is the sort of beast a servant. He is coming to Israel, to Jerusalem, as their servant king. He's not there as a threat to them. Nobody in the Jewish leadership, nobody in the culture should be threatened by this fellow riding in on a, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. By the way, the fact that it's the colt, the foal of a donkey, an unbroken animal, and yet it's plodding along in an orderly way, tells you what? He is the utter master of this whole thing. So it is also a, a measure of his mastery in the same way that healing those blind men was a measure of it. And he rides in on this beast that is this, a servant's animal. Why? Because he is coming to them as their servant king. What is he about to do for their benefit? By the way, let me just take a moment. I'll let you look this up on your own time, but let me tell you what... On your own time at home, go read Daniel chapter 9. It talks about the 70 weeks of Daniel. Now, I'm going to tell you just, uh, uh, I had a professor uh, who got his Ph.D. at Cambridge University. Title of his book that is the distillation of his, his doctoral dissertation is Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. The last chapter of the book deals with Daniel chapter 9, which is the prophecy of the 70 weeks. And the 70 weeks of Daniel begin, and thank you, God. Of course, God engineered this. The ancient cultures, the Romans, the Greeks, the Persians, the Babylonians, they kept obsessive-compulsive court records. They would cite in their government records the astronomical signs. Because they didn't want to lose a single day, because we're talking about taxes here, folks. We don't want to lose a single day. And so they are actually cited the astronomical signs and the movements of the planets and the constellations in their court records. And so we can actually go back, and this is, was done 40-plus years ago by this guy. All, they computerized all this material from the ancient Persian records. And you go to Daniel chapter 9, the beginning of the 70 weeks is on the day, and this is Daniel prophesying in the 500s something that would happen a hundred year, almost 100 years later. <clears throat> on the day that the command is given to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem is the day one of this 70 weeks of years, 490 years. That's March the 5th, 444 B.C. And we know that because they kept such meticulous records. And so extrapolating our calendar back into their days, March the 5th, 444 B.C. to the coming of Messiah is 69 sevens of years, 483 years of 360-day years, lunar years. You Stick with me, stick with me. That adds up to 173,880 days. March the 5th, 444 B.C., you count 173,880 days. What day does it bring, it to, bring you to? March the 30th, 33 A.D., the day of the triumphal entry. Israel, from the day of the announcement, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which was done by Cyrus the Persian. It's in Nehemiah 2.1. He orders, ne gives Nehemiah, 
orders to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, 173,880 days later, Messiah is going to show up. And that's the day of the triumphal entry when Jesus, for the first time, says to his disciples, who had been professing, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, you are the Christ. Yes, great, great, don't tell anybody. On this day, he says, tell everybody. And they proceed into Jerusalem, and everybody is worshiping him. Hosanna to the Son of David, the Messiah. Hosanna, Lord save, Lord save. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the day of Messiah's coming to Israel. And it's right on the specific day prophesied in Daniel. And he comes in on this non-threatening beast, the, the colt, the foal of a donkey, because he's come to be their servant. And what is he going to do four days later? March the 30th, 33 A.D., he comes in Friday, that's a Monday, Friday the 4th of April. He's on the cross paying the penalty for the sins of the entire human race, doing as a servant what only he could do. Only he was qualified. What did John the Baptist say of him? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so when Jesus was nailed to that cross in the same way that the Jews on, the, on Passover, and this is Passover season, and the same way that the Jews, when they, would, when they were in Egypt, and they were told, think about this, they were told to bring a kid goat or a lamb, either one, into their home. And it was supposed to spend, what, two or three days with them. This was for two purposes. Number one, so they could be very clear, this was a perfect, without flaw, kid goat or lamb. Have you ever been around any kid goats or lambs? You will lose your heart. They are, I don't... Forget puppies and kittens. No. <laughs> Kid goats and lambs are just the heart-capturingest animals there is. And then you take this animal that has now captured your heart and you kill it. Why would God ask them to do that torturous thing? I want you to have some way of measuring my pain at sending my son to the cross for you. And they would kill that animal, and there would be a hook beside the doorway in Egypt. This is the way it was. It didn't rain. But just every once in a while, maybe once a year, if they got some rain like we've gotten today, they actually had a little trough in front of the door so it would capture any rain so it wouldn't run into their houses. Everybody has dirt floors, <laughs> and they didn't want water flowing in. So they had a little trench in front of the door. Well, they also had a hook beside the door, and if they killed an, uh, an animal, uh, they would hang it there so the blood could drip from the carcass, and it would actually go into that trough. And this is what the Jews were told to do. You were to take a hyssop branch, and you are to put it in the blood, and you are, and the Hebrew word is not paint. No, it's strike. 
and they were very specific where they were to strike the door frame. Dip the hyssop branch into the blood and strike it. And right here at eye level, the same position in Christ's crown, his hands, his feet pierced with nails. It was a prophetic picture of what Jesus would be put through on the cross. And this is the Passover time. In fact, they will have to get Jesus off of that cross right away because they have to get him off before sundown on Friday because that's the day when uh, sundown to sundown is when the Jewish day begins. They have to get him off because this high holy day. And so he was put in the tomb just before sundown on Friday. But he's come to be their servant. Now he's coming in on a servant's beast into Jerusalem. He's their servant king. But he will come again, as he's promised, riding this time, not in the colt, the foal of a donkey, but on a white charger, followed by the saints of every age riding likewise on white horses, filling the sky. <laughs> That's what is portrayed here. And what are the people say as he is being brought into Jerusalem, what are the people doing? A very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. They are honoring him rather than have your the precious feet of your colt, the foal of a donkey, touch the actual ground. We're going to lay our clothes on the road. And we're going to cut branches off. These are palm branches. Palm branches are a kingdom emblem because of their perfect symmetry. Even in heaven, Revelation chapter 7, it says of the saints of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people that stand before the throne of God, they're standing there with palm branches in their hands. That is a kingdom emblem. And Jesus is being met by these people with the kingdom emblems in their hands, with the clothes, they've put their own clothes on the road, Hosanna to the son of David, the Messiah, the promised king. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth's Nazareth of Galilee. By the way, isn't it interesting? It's the people from the environments, environment around Jerusalem that has received so much of the ministry of Jesus. Now Jesus had ministered in Jerusalem too, but they're coming to testify. In fact, it's very interesting in the book of Revelation, it says of Jerusalem, upon the event of the murder of the two witnesses, and their resurrection, that this all happened in that place called Sodom, Egypt, which is the city where our Lord was crucified. Jerusalem, which we might expect to be the very center of dedication to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was anything 
but the dedication, the further you got out from Jerusalem, the more faithful you found the people to be to the God, the authentic God of Abraham. In fact, the religious mafia <laughs> was controlling Jerusalem. And, but Jesus went there, and it was while he was there that he pays sin's penalty for us. He serves us. Our servant king served us as only he could. And so now, as we come to the Lord's table, we're carrying out a visual act that is a portrayal of our faith in what he did for us. Yes, Jesus, we're taking this broken matzah cracker with it that is a testimony that we believe that you were the sinless one. We're taking this into our body. Eating and drinking are used as, as pictures of the act of faith. I don't care what your, the level of your morality is. You can eat and drink. As long as you're physically normal, you can eat and drink. Anybody can have faith. Anybody can have faith. There's not a moral requirement to have faith. In fact, your morality is addressed by a preceding act of faith. But we take this matzah cracker, which is the Passover cracker. They didn't have time for the bread to rise, so they baked it without it rising. But it also is a picture of the sinlessness because leaven is used as a, an emblem or illustration of sin. And so here, Jesus is the sinless one. This is my body, broken for you. And then this cup is the new covenant in my blood and portrays the blood that I am about to shed, the suffering. The bread is the demonstration of the qualification that he had to be the sin bearer. He is sinless. He's without leaven. The cup is our testament. Yes, we believe that what he did on the cross was completely, utterly effective to address the issue of the guilt of our sin. And so by eating this matzah cracker, unleavened bread, we are saying, I believe, I have faith in the declaration about Jesus that he was the qualified sacrifice. And number two, by taking the cup, I am declaring in a visual way, I believe that that sacrifice was effective and completely addressed the issue of my sinfulness before God. He did it. He accomplished that for me. And I simply receive it as an act of faith. In the same way that I'm eating and drinking, I'm doing that invisible thing of believing. I'm going to ask Mr. D.J. Miller, Mr. Jim Rittman to join me here at the Lord's table.
And I'm going to ask uh, DJ, would you please give thanks for the broken body of our Lord? Sisters, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you're doing in our lives, Lord. We truly give you all the thanks and we give you all the glory and the glory is yours. Lord, we, we just thank you for sending your son down mm. to not only die for our sins, but, but others, Lord. For Yes. Daily, Lord, that we we ask for the renewing of the heart, soul, and the mind for your yes. glory on a daily on a daily task, and we thank you for it. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Mm. Amen. Please retain the uh, bread until uh, we've all been served, and then we will partake together. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jim, would you give thanks for the cup? Thank you, Lord. 